Hey, uh, I want to jump in with this. You may not know or recognize the name uh, Dan Whedon, uh, but you're probably familiar with his work. In 1988, uh, he had a small advertising firm that was trying to uh, make its way in the business world on the West Coast, and he coined a tagline for a growing sportswear brand uh, that, uh, that, that, that's since taken off. And in an interview uh, with, a, um, with, with a design company, Dan Whedon revealed the phrase was inspired by the final words of a death row inmate uh, who was facing execution and said, you know, let's do it. Whedon said, I remember when I read that, I was like, that's amazing. I'm quoting him. I mean, how in the face of so much uncertainty do you push through that? So in 1988, Dan Whedon coined Nike's tagline, just do it. And since then, I, if, if I, I, this, this is in the moment I grew up, so everything was just, if I could get a shirt that said, just do it with that Nike thing, I was fine, right? Uh, and so all of a sudden, there wasn't just a tagline with a brand, there started emerging a culture uh, that developed around it. In fact, centered around the release of a couple of Nike sneakers that were uh, uh, brought forth and worn by the Michael Jordan, right? And so in this moment, there's a lot of things that came around this idea of just go and do it. Uh, just do it. Whatever the thing is, just do it. And ESPN writer Nick DePaula said in that fall, not only was the slogan great and also approachable, it was vague enough that anybody could apply it to whatever it was they were trying to aspire to do. Now, in this conversation, when we come back to Scripture, we've been talking about the need in our lives to make a disciple shift, uh, that there's a way that we follow Jesus, but it may not be actually following Jesus. It's just what we call that. And so we need to shift back to who is Jesus? What is he like? What does he do? How does he act? How does he respond? How does he behave? Who is he? And what does it mean to follow him? We've gotten used to this distorted understanding of the church where you can be a decent Christian without being an intentional, active follower of Jesus. Let me say that again. We've gotten used to this distorted idea of church where you can be a good or a decent Christian, but not an intentional, active follower of Jesus. I think everyone in the first century would have laughed that those two things are different, but some of us get that gut punch because we know that for us they can be. Are you a Christian? Yes. Do you follow Jesus? Ugh. Tuesdays are a good Jesus following day for me. Uh, I try to take Wednesdays off, but you know, I'm back in the habit by Thursday. Fridays fall off after five, but I catch back up by Sunday, right? And we kind of got this, like I'm a Christian for sure. Do I follow Jesus? I try, right? And I want us to feel convicted by that uh, because scripture doesn't allow us, Jesus doesn't allow us to separate what it means to follow him from the way of following him. A Christian actually is a term that came up as a persecuting term for Christians. It was these Jesus followers who were acting like Jesus. And so uh, to, to, to make fun of them or to mock them and jeer them, they would call them Christians, meaning little Christs. So much so that the people like when you hear Paul's words that say, I, if, if following Jesus means I've got to sacrifice and surrender, then I'm going to sacrifice and surrender because that's what Jesus did, so I'm going to do it. And so when people said, you're like little Christ, they said, we wish we were like little Christs. We want to own the name Christian. 
And in the culture we live in, a lot of times Christian can be a religion. A lot of times Christian can be a voting block to be one, which get ready for 2024, you will be. And people will say things in the name of Christianity, do things in the name of Christianity that are removed from the person of Christ. And what we want to get back to is being reminded we are Jesus followers. That he is the one that saved our life, that brought us into redemption, that that cleared us to be connected and reconciled back to God. We want to be with him. We want to become like him, and we want to do what he does. There's a shift that needs to take place. This isn't a sliding scale. It is a surrender of your life to put your full faith. And when we say faith, we mean your confident trust or even the word allegiance to Jesus as Lord over your life. If he did all that for me, I'll give anything for him. Let's be reminded this morning that we are not called to convert to a religion based off of some of the New Testament writings and ideas. We are called to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Jesus. When Jesus called disciples and sent them to make disciples, he was calling them to be with him, to become like him, to do what he does. It's to follow this order where he is the rabbi, we are the disciple, he is the teacher, we are the follower, he is the Lord, we are the servant, he is the king, and we are citizens of that kingdom. Becoming like Jesus is a process, so you have to start. You can't just jump in and say, I'm just going to start doing the Jesus stuff. You can, but hopefully where it leads you to is realizing you can't do the Jesus stuff without Jesus. So we start with, you've got to be with him. You have to live life with him. When scripture teaches us to pray continually, right? Pray without ceasing. It's the idea that we are with him at all times, in all circumstances, through every decision, every trial, every victory. He is with us because we are with him. You follow it? And as we are with him, it shapes and forms the person we are. We start to become like him because we've yielded our actions and our behaviors and our thoughts to Jesus. Take every thought captive. Remember that scripture. That in our attitude, we will be like Christ. And that once we become like Jesus, we have this desire to do what Jesus does. Primarily because he tells us to do what he does. It was said that Nike's tagline, just do it, was approachable and vague enough that anyone could apply it to whatever they were aspiring to do. I want to remind us when Jesus shows us his life, gives us his life, and leaves us his life to replicate as we are with him, become like him, and do what he does, it was not vague. And you can't apply it to whatever you want to do. Though it is approachable, It's to approach the king and follow the king. You don't get to choose where that goes, but he does, and so we follow him, but we still heed that same thing. Christianity, our our faith in following Jesus is to just do it. Not talk ourselves out of it, not get worried by it, not to convolute our theology or twist it around or leave things aside so we don't have to do those things. But we take all of Jesus or we take none of him. Are we in agreement? Okay, just checking. I thought I was by myself for a minute. Will you make Jesus the life you are aspiring to and just do it? Will we, as we open up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we read this unbelievable, incredible life of Christ, will we look at that and say, I want to do that. 
I want to live like that. I want to be like that. I want to treat people like that. I want to go to places like that. I don't want to leave people out like he didn't leave people out. I want to deny myself the way he denied himself. I want this to be more about the Father than it is about me, the way Jesus made his life more about the Father and his desire than his own. So would you stand with me, and we will read out of Matthew chapter 16. Verse 24. Now at this point, Jesus has given his disciples a call and a charge. Uh, He invited them with the phrase, come follow me and I will make you uh, fishermen of men or fishers of men. And here he gives them another call. They've been following him, but here's, here's another invitation. In verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, same language of if anybody wants to follow me that he gave earlier, if anybody wants to come after me, he must deny himself take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever wants to save their soul will lose it. Whoever wants to lose his life for my sake will find it. For what good will it do a person if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what will a person give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every person according to his deeds. Let's pray. Father, would you challenge the things in us that claim you but don't follow you? Uh, Father, would you mess with us this morning? Uh, Would you help us see this, um, uh, this, this life that we've built um, that, that, that we give to you, God, there's, there's parts of it we haven't given to you yet. Lord, would you, would you pry our fingers off of it? Because we know in your hands our life is better than it is with ours. Father, we want to save our lives, so Lord, we're asking this morning that we would lose it, uh, that we would let go of it, that we would return it to you, Father, that you would take it. Uh, Father, would you meet us? Uh, God, would you shake us up? Uh, would you shift our life back to what it means to just be a follower of Jesus so that that becomes our true identity, that we're your children, we're Jesus' followers, and everything beyond that lines up with those things. Father, shift our lives in that way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can have a seat. Uh, Seven to uh, eight years ago, I couldn't really put... um, I couldn't remember, but that's as much as I could remember. It wasn't quite 10, but it was longer than five, so do with that what you want. I had a crisis of faith. I don't know if you've had one of these. Uh, If not, you can come pray over me after service. I would appreciate that. Um, But it wasn't a crisis of what I believed. It it, It was because I wasn't doing what I believed. I believed that the forgiveness of my sins was dependent on Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. I believed in his resurrection. I believe in his return. My crisis is that outside of some improved behavior, the rest of Jesus' life had little to no bearing on how I was living mine. Uh, meaning I had cleaned some stuff up enough where people weren't asking questions anymore. You know what I'm talking about. 
Uh, from the outside, people are like, wow, you aren't who you used to be. And I was like, you better believe I'm not who I used to be, Jesus. And then after that, it was kind of like, a, so what, what are you working on now? And it's like, I don't know. What are you changing? I don't know. What's the spirit poking at for you? I haven't let him. And I realized I was in this behavioral standstill. The things I was doing was not lining up with what I believed a Christian should be doing. Here was a bigger crisis. I didn't know many people around me that took Jesus' life that serious as an example. His teaching serious enough to live in continual surrender to pursuing a life of living like Jesus. Uh, there'd become this thing that it felt like there was a threshold where everyone got to stop. You don't want to be like crazy, crazy, right? Those of you from decades ago, it's like, I don't want to be like a Jesus freak, you know? Um, but I'm, I'm a Christian. And I felt like that was that moment. And it, honestly, it was as I was reading through scripture saying, holy cow, I'm not, I'm missing this. I'm not here. I don't follow in that. He's given hard challenges that press up against things that I actually believed were wrong, and he's saying they're right. And all of a sudden, it was like, what do we do? And so, uh, in talking with a couple friends, starting on a journey to abide in him, conforming my life to him, and then doing what he does, for the first time, and this was probably about 20 years after following Christ, was in a moment of what does it actually mean to live like him? What does it mean to inhabit his life uh, and, and, and try to uh, live out the life of Christ, to take as Paul calls and become that ambassador, literally meaning uh, an, a, a foreign representation, that when the people of this world encounter me, what they see is a representative of the world that I belong to, which is the kingdom of God. And what I realized is what most people around me were getting was a more cleaned up, uh, better languaged version of someone like them. And this challenge and this charge, and I hope we're bearing this together, was, man, what, what are we if we are not little Christs? Not taking on the deity, but surrendering to the deity and knowing that he is the one that leads. He is our savior. He is our redeemer. He's the one who's invited us to follow him, to give up our lives, and that that's how we would find it. What would it look like to shape our attitude like his, to surrender our, the way we respond to people, to be the way he responds to people, to behave like him, to serve like him, to love like Jesus, to struggle and suffer the way Jesus did, uh, to give grace like Jesus gave it, to find ways to serve and love the poor and outcasts the way Jesus did, to forgive the way Jesus forgave, and to surrender the way Jesus surrendered. Maybe I'm the only one in the room, but I can read those things and say there is a gap between where I am and where I now see that I need to be. And the question, or the, 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 the feeling here is not one of guilt or shame of, oh man, I've, I've blew it, I haven't got there. It's like, no, a gap will always be there. But my struggle is, am I following Jesus to, to, to shorten the gap? Am, am I letting the Spirit of God work in my life to work out the things that aren't like him and surrender those things to take off the old self so that I can put on the new? You know what I'm saying? 
Maybe like me, you know the gap between a good Christian and following Jesus. Some of you might be living far from God right now. Some of you might be familiar with Jesus, but you aren't cooperating with the Spirit of God to become more like him so you can do what he does. And today, uh, we are going to look at what it means to do what Jesus does. We've talked about, you have to go back, because we started with uh, the idea that you have to be with him. That's primary, because you don't want to act like him without being with him. Because then you just act like him. You become an actor, not a follower. We are with Christ. He is with us. The things we do, we do with him. The things he's doing, we're there with him as he does them. And we become like him in that process, and today we want to talk about, so what happens when that's taken root and taken hold in our life? What does it look like out there because of what God's doing in here? Would you allow yourself the openness to imagine what your life would look like if you abandoned your excuses, your pride, and your insecurities, and laid them at the cross to just follow Jesus? Now, the way this is going to work is, I don't actually have teaching points. Uh, as I was reading through here, I felt like there were so many scripture references, so many Jesus teachings about doing what Jesus does that I thought we could just read them together and let the Spirit do the rest of the work. Where I wanted us to start is, it's helpful at the beginning to talk about the balance of what we believe in our faith and the balance of what we do in our works, because the scripture has something to say about that. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, also I tried to do this because I know some. T- I've, I've been told that I can talk fast, all right? Uh, so just like on the news, I've got a scripture ticker on the right for those of you that still use a paper Bible, uh, so you know where we're going and you can get there before I do, all right? So I'm just trying to serve. I hope it works. If not, you're on your own. I don't know how to help you, all right? So um, all of it will be on the screen, but I know some of you are like, you've, you've got charred edges of your Bible from trying to get over real quick and... Um, But anyways, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Right? By the grace of God, through putting your faith, your confident trust, your allegiance in Jesus. You did nothing. God gifted everything. Saved people should be the least prideful and the most humble people alive. Father, forgive us when we forget. We didn't do nothing. It's the Don International version. It's because of his grace, his gift of grace that we've been saved through faith. Not anything we did so that we can't boast. You've got nothing on this one. All you've got is to point and glorify King Jesus giving glory to the Father. James chapter 2, verse 14, though, comes in and reminds us of this. What use is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? I remember uh, in, uh, early in my faith being like, well, the Bible is contradicting itself. Because at one point it says you have to have faith, your works don't matter, and here it's like, well, what good is your faith if there's no works? And it's like, yes. I think is the answer. Uh, keep reading with him as he goes. He says, um, can, that kind of, can that faith save him? Whoa. Easy, James. 
If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, and be filled, that's the nice stuff we say in the lobby together, right? Hey, what's going on? I'm really struggling. God bless you, brother. I hope everything works out. Praise you. Yes. Or praise him, but you know what I'm saying. Just go. Leave me because I don't know what to do, right? And we have these moments where it's like, oh man, there's a spiritual thing I'm supposed to say right here, so it feels like we had a good interaction, but I don't plan on doing anything, so enjoy, right? And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? I love the question he asked. What use is it? How is that helpful? How can that be used? How can, uh, what's the utility there? How does that pan out? How does that play out? He says, in the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. Well-wishing without worshipful working is dead. Well-wishing without worshipful working is dead. James' point, you may have some kind of faith, but it's not the kind of faith that saves. Verse 18, he says, but someone may say, well, uh, may well say, you have faith and I have works. And he says, show me your works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. Uh, the point being that what I'm doing is a fruit of who I'm with. Jesus, remember, teaches us in John 15 that I'm the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me, remember? And through me, you will bear much fruit. James is reminding us, it's the fruit of my faith that's gonna show you that it's there. You believe that God is one, right? Or another way to translate the same phrase is you believe there is one God and he says, you do well. The demons even believe that and shudder. James is going for the knees here, all right? Meaning this, you can read verses in Scripture and say, I believe intellectually, conceptually that that is right. And he's like, cool. Well, so do the demons. Knowing about God is different than knowing God. Demons also know about God, but we are different because our faith works through our souls into our actions. Verse 20, he jumps in and says this, but are you willing to acknowledge, you foolish person, that faith without works is useless? Now, this isn't me going hard. This is James going hard. And when God breathed this and it was written down and brought into Scripture... It's so that we could be reminded, are we willing to acknowledge that faith without works is useless? Was our father Abraham not justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. His faith was brought into fullness when the fruit grew, and you could see the works that come out of it. And scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. In the same way, was Rahab the prostitute not justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out, uh, out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, also, so also faith without works is dead." This is in our Bibles. This is God-breathed scripture into our life. 
There are reminders in here that dig, when Scripture says it's like a knife that cuts and messes with all the stuff inside, it's messing with me this week. Because the reminder is, cool, you believe some stuff, but what are you doing? And some of us need to be reminded, you might be doing some stuff, but you don't have faith. What are you doing? We're with Christ. We're becoming like Him and we start to do what he does. What happens when we have a private faith that we don't just like to talk about? And then you read stuff like this, and James like, the only way you know about my faith is because of what I talk about. It's because of what I'm doing. It's because of the actions that are coming out of my life, not because I'm putting on a show, but because I'm surrendered to the Savior. So let's continue to ask ourselves, what is my faith doing? How are the people around me seeing my faith? Your work will not get you saved, but saved people get to work. Your work will not get you saved, but saved people get to work. Today, uh, like I said, I don't have teaching points, but follow with me as we roll through some scripture. The first one I want us to look at is in Luke chapter 10. Some of you know this story. There's an expert in the Jewish Torah that stood up to test Jesus, which, by the way, is a sign that you just don't feel like winning, right? Jesus will win. So he stands up to test Jesus by asking, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in Jesus' response? Well, what is written in the law, and how do you read it, right? Imagine that, Jesus, the Word himself, right? And he's like, well, I, I got, it sounds like you know the answers, so, right? You're the expert in the law, so let's hear what you got to say. I love what he does as he points him back to the word. Warren Wearsby said this, our Lord sent the man back to the law, not because the law saves, but because the law shows us that we need to be saved. All he did was throw him back into the scripture he already knows, and you'll read it. He'll say, well, just do that. Just do what you know, and you'll be fine, Right? And so he said, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Read it out loud. Maybe the reason you're asking the question is because you know too much, you're not doing enough. You know what the answer is, but you're not putting it into practice. You've sat through a lot of Bible studies, but your lifestyle's not changed much. Uh, we've, we, we've got so much information, but do your neighbors know that you believe it? Do the people you work with know you believe it? Not just because of your words, but because of what we do, how we live. Here's the conflict that this man is forced to deal with, and we need to take a deeper look into our life to examine it. Some of us don't think the great commandment is all that great. Love the Lord your God, and you're like, I probably do that. I'm, I'm almost sure I do. Well, love your neighbors yourself. And we start asking the same questions this guy asks, who's my neighbor? Right? Sure, I love some people, the ones that are just like me. Because who wouldn't love this, right? <laughs> but everyone? And so we start doing what this guy does. Actually, Scripture reminds us, but wanting to justify himself, he asked, who is my neighbor? And you know this story. 
Uh, he starts off by sharing this parable. Jesus goes into a story. Some of us know the story, we forget the context. And the story goes like this. There was a man walking from uh, Jerusalem, and as he was going down the road, uh, a bunch of robbers came and beat him within an inch of his life and left him for dead, naked on the side of the road. And a priest came by and saw him and walked on the other side of the road. And then a Levite, a really good, really good one of God's people, saw him. And went around him. Think about this. The tragedy is this guy's spiritual leaders just worked all the way around him. People this guy looked up to in his faith, the ones that were representatives of God, just... But then he said a Samaritan was coming by. Now, we have a hard time making a reference to this. But the idea is this kind of gross, dirty, hillbilly, not good enough coming to town, everyone's looking at him weird, uh, culturally set apart like, ah, I don't want to deal with that kind of person. Jesus says that person came by, saw the man, bandaged his wounds, put oil on him, put him on his own animal, rode him to a place where he could get shelter, uh, set him up there, made sure that everything he needed, left him and said, hey, anything else that he needs, take care of it. When I come back, I'll pay for it. And then Jesus asked the gut punch question. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And he said, the one who showed compassion to him. He can't even muster the word Samaritan out of his mouth. Then Jesus said to him, go ahead and read it. Go and do the same. He doesn't say, great, you passed the intellectual test, you're clear. Your theology is on point, uh, and it sounds like there's no distinction between what I believe and what you believe. It sounds like, conceptually, in, in, in theory, we're all in the same spot. You should be fine. What he says, if you want to know what it means to live in this eternal life, go do this. Go live this way. Go serve this way. Go love this way. Go give yourself in this way. This is how you love God. This is how you love your neighbor. This is what it looks like. Now go and do that. Go and do it. What he didn't say was stay here, let's argue about some theories, some hypothetical, some nuances and opinions until we feel better about our theological stance. He said go and do the same. Get out of here and put your loving faith in God to work by loving the people around you who need love. Don't be picky, don't be opinionated, be faithful. There's another story Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 25. In verse 31, he says this, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, you get in the scene here, close your eyes if you can see it, when the Son of Man comes in all his glory and all the angels with him and he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will start separating them one from another just as the shepherd separates, man, I'm having an issue with that one, separates the sheep from the goats. We got through it. Thank you for your prayer. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. This is common shepherding language, mostly articulating there'll be separation in two different camps. And then we find out why. Verse 34 says, Then the king will say to those on his right, 
Mind you, this is judgment scene. You catching it? The king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the, from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? You get the question is, they were just doing they were just doing what the Lord was leading them and calling them to do, and they didn't see the worship. They didn't see the fruit. They didn't see that it was for Jesus. The king will answer them and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. But then he's going to say something to the goats on the left. Should have titled this sermon, Don't Be a Goat. <laughs> then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, you accursed people, into the eternal fire which is prepared by the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they themselves will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or as a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And he'll answer them. Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me either. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, this isn't sidestepping the scripture, it's including the scripture. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. It's not a result of works that no one can boast, but we show our faith by our works, like James says. So that when Jesus is asking these questions, we sound more like sheep than goats. Your work will not get you saved, but saved people get to work. What we do reveals who is Lord over our lives, and it reveals our love for God, and it reveals our love for people. Colossians chapter 3.17, Paul reminds us this, whatever you do, get the words here? Whatever you do, whatever your actions are, whatever your works are, whatever your deeds are, whether it's what you say or what you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. There's another one. We read this last week, but it needs to be repeated this week. John 13, verse 12 John writes this, then would he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table, Jesus said to them, do you know what I've done for you? He says, you call me teacher and Lord and you are correct, for so I am. So if I, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Here's the word, for I gave you an example so that you also would do just as I did for you. I gave you an example. I lived out a way. I showed you what to do so that you would do what I'm doing. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is no greater than his master, nor is anyone who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I asked the same thing last week. I'll ask it this week. Would you repent with me for when serving others seems below us? When loving certain kinds of people is too uncomfortable for us and we'll come up with reasons why we won't. When we want to justify our spiritual laziness and pride rather than grabbing a towel and washing feet. A few of us would admit that we think we are greater than Jesus, but so many of us live like we are. We are disciples of Jesus. We are with him, becoming like him, doing what he does. If it's good enough for Jesus, we will be blessed to do what our Lord and Savior does. We are not above him. In fact, we serve him. Matthew chapter 16, get to the verse we open with. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anybody wants to come after me, anybody in this room want to come after him? Just checking. He says, then you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what good will it do to a person if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what will a person give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he will repay every person according to his deeds. What does it look like to do what Jesus does? It starts here. Starts giving up what we want. Starts denying ourselves. It starts giving up what we think should happen, how we think it should go, what our uh, preferences are. Take up our cross, right? He didn't say take up the power of the resurrection, but we get to do that. You pick up your cross and we follow him. Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus challenges with this. Now, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Again, I'm just here to deliver the Bible's gut punches. Because it's been hitting me all week, so I just need to share it a little bit. Why would we call him Lord, Lord, and not do what he says? Question becomes, is he at that point? Is he Lord? If we don't do what he says. If he's Lord, our whole lives are brought under the rule and reign of King Jesus. He is Lord of Lords and we are servants of his kingdom, co-heirs with Christ, children of the most high God. If he is Lord, then, we, uh, then what we do through our days need to show it. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but it's the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Every time I come across a scripture that's work out your salvation with fear and trembling, this is what I first go back to. Here's the split. There's those who call Jesus Lord, and there's those whose actions are in step 
with the Lord God and his will. Doing a bunch of ministry things is not the same as drawing near and abiding in Jesus. It's, not this, it's allowing the Spirit of God to form our lives to become like him, and then in our allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ to do what he does because he's Lord. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul reminds the church, actually urges, impresses on, uh, calls out to uh, the church in Rome, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies, your whole selves as a living sacrifice, holy, uh, living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do this. Give your whole self as a living and holy sacrifice to God. That's how we worship. John 14, 12. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Let's read that together out loud, actually. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. Now pay attention to this next part. And greater works than these he will do, because I'm going to the Father. We say we believe. Do you believe this? You'd say you're a believer. So what do you believe if you don't believe this? Because this is included in Jesus. He says, and he reminds us, and he teaches us, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do. How do we know if we're a believer? We do what Jesus does. That fruit comes out. Now, you may, uh, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm hopefully, prayerfully, doing more of what Jesus does now than I was 10 years ago. And I hope in 10 years from now, I'm, I'm doing more of what Jesus does than what I'm doing right now. It's not beating yourself up and feeling guilty that you aren't measuring up yet. But like Paul says, I, 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 I let go of what's behind so I can strain towards what's ahead. I want to release everything holding me back so I can just in freedom because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And with my freedom, I just want to run and pursue who he is and what he's doing. When I was in my crisis of actions of my faith, a friend gave me a note that had this verse on it, and I've, had to, and I've worked to write the weight of it on my heart ever since. Close with this in Ephesians chapter 2.20. Actually, let's stand as we read this one. And I know I move quick, but I'll read this one slow so you can read it with me. Let's read Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Amen? Your neighbors, your spouses, your nieces and nephews, your own kids, your coworkers, uh, don't, don't need someone who claims faith but doesn't do it. You don't need that. But you need a saving faith. 
And it shows by what we do. And some of us just need to, you don't need to work harder. You need to abide deeper. You don't need to try harder. You need to surrender more. And when you do that, King Jesus will lead you and guide you. The Spirit of God will dwell inside of you. When you've given your life and you've received Christ, the Holy Spirit will shape and guide and guard. There are things that I thought by now I'd surely have figured out, and I don't. Amen? I read Paul's words, the things I wish I was doing, I don't do them. The things I wish I did, I don't do those. Things I know I'm supposed to be doing, I don't do it. Sanctification is the Holy Spirit <clears throat> working in our lives to become more and more like him, to do more and more of what he does so that the fruit of our life is a life that shows I'm less of me and more of him. I decrease because he has to increase. We have one week left in our 21 days of prayer. Would you work out would you work this out <clears throat> with the Lord in prayer? What areas of your life have you kept from Jesus as Lord? For some of you, maybe you've kept all of it. You've not, you've not given your life to Christ. You've not received him. And what receiving him means is who he is, you take him on as that. He's already Lord over all creation. You don't have a say-so in that. You may not believe in him. It doesn't take away who he is but you receive who he is. He's not just the Lord and Savior. He's already your Lord and Savior. You just receive him as your Lord. And you walk with him and he shapes you. Some of us need to surrender. There's areas of our life that aren't his yet. We have a baptism coming up on February 25th. I would love to challenge some of you uh, who have been walking with the Lord but have not been baptized. And the image we get in Romans chapter 6 is that we uh, are buried with Christ and we rise to walk in this new life with him, that just as Jesus uh, went into the earth, we go into the water. And just as he came out in resurrection, we come out into a new life. And some of you have not made that step. And I'm going to let you know, obedience, doing what Jesus does, starts here. Because in that new life, you walk in your new life. And as we follow and as we pursue, as we lean into and as we become and as we act out our faith by living out the life that Christ has called us to live, we see more and more of him and less and less of us. I wanna invite us that after this worship song, would you just come and get prayed over? We, we've got elders and deacons after service that'll be up here that just wanna pray with you. So let's pray and then we'll worship. Lord Jesus, as we work through your word, Father, it is obvious to us um, that there's a high calling, that there's a, a, a wide road that's easy to travel, but there's a narrow gate and few will find it. Father, would we receive you as Lord? Would we become more and more like you? Would we do the things that you do? Father, would you work in our lives? God, would you, in this moment, 
remove any kind of guilt or shame the enemy's trying to creep into this place. That we're not good enough, that we don't match up, that we don't have what it takes, that we aren't actual Jesus followers because there's such a big gap between our life and yours. Father, would we feel the heaviness of your love as we remember that it was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us, that we would be reminded that we are sealed But Father, would you, would you help us follow into that calling? Lord, would you teach us your kingdom? Would you use us as your ambassadors to bring your kingdom here through the fruit of our closeness and our connection with Jesus? Father, would we draw near to you as you draw near to us? Father, would you shape and mold by your spirit who we are so we become more and more like Jesus? And Father, would you set that afire in us that we don't know how to act if we're not acting like you? God, would you give this to us so that we can walk in the freedom you've called us to and the people around us could see this light of the world that you've called us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.